So today we are <clears throat> beginning this new series called Beyond These Walls. And if the title didn't give it away, we're talking about how as a church, we are about a lot more than a building uh, or an event. And we're talking about this series because one of the things that is true about our language, about English, is the words we use to describe things matters. The words we use will change our interpretation and our understanding of what we're talking about. And so as we gather and as we talk about this, one of the things that we need to recognize is that one of those English words that has multiple meanings is the word church. There's different ways that we can interpret and understand. If someone says church, there's a handful of ways that they could understand it. One of the ways um, that comes to mind is the physical place. You know, we are the church on the hill, as you know, we're kind of collectively known in Brandon. Often we're the church on 18th Street or the church at 18th and Braycrest. That's how we're known. And we talk about we are in a physical church right now. But we also talk about it in terms of, well, on a Sunday, I'm going to church or I'm joining church online. And we talk about church in terms of an event. It's something that we do together, whether that's in person or online. But these two definitions of church don't actually match up with the way that the New Testament authors meant when we see the word church appear in our New Testament scriptures. And so there is a better definition of church that actually doesn't mean a building or an event at all. And the first time this appears in scripture happens during the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at about kind of the mid-late point, a um, little after the middle point of Matthew, he records this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. And Jesus says this, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, his group of closest followers who had been with him, his whole ministry up to that point, he says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Son of Man is this term that Jesus borrowed from the Old Testament to refer to himself. And his disciples reply and say, well, some say you are like John the Baptist. Some say you are Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, they're not speaking about reincarnation, but they're talking about Jesus acting and living and being in a way that carried on the legacy and ministry and involvement of these people. But if you notice, Jesus asked them, you know, who do people say? And they say, well, this is what the people are saying. But then Jesus narrows it down. Then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? He asks his disciples, what do you, you who have been close to me, who have been near me, who, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter makes this declaration. He understands who Jesus is, that he is this anointed Messiah, the son of the living God, who has come into earth to achieve and to do what God sent him to do. And so Jesus replies, he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. That's a little note that Matthew adds. He says, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of Hades will not conquer it. So this is the first appearance of the word church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And he gives Peter this important role that you are going to be the rock. You're going to be part of the foundation, the cornerstone of this church being formed. But when we see that, 
our English word church is actually a borrowed or stolen word from German. It's a transliteration of a word that means temple or holy place. And so at some point, as the English language developed and as our scriptures were translated to English, the translators and the scholars at the time put the word church in here for the actual word that Matthew records. But the word that Matthew records is very different. He records this Greek word that is called ekklesia. And so when Matthew uses this word ekklesia in the gospel, this is a word that describes an assembly of people who are gathered for a common purpose. Jesus is saying, upon you, I will build a gathering of people with a common purpose. He's not saying we're going to build a structure. He's not saying we're going to build a tabernacle or a new temple. He says, we're going to build a group of people. And so if we reread Matthew 16, it would look more like this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, and all the powers of Hades will not conquer it. Now this word ecclesia is not a new word. Jesus is not inventing a Greek word when he says this. Matthew is not inventing a new word when he writes this down later. But it's a word that is borrowed from their culture. In fact, one of the next times that it appears midway through the book of Acts, it's not actually even referring to a group of Jesus followers at all. Because in Acts 19, there's this uh, story that happens where Paul has been preaching and he's been telling people about Jesus and people are giving their lives to Jesus and converting to what at this point wasn't, was just starting to be called Christianity, but for the most part was just called the way and there's this group of silversmiths, and this group of silversmiths made their money by making idols, but these Jesus followers, these people that were listening to Paul and the other apostles preaching, were getting rid of their idols, and they, were, they weren't buying new ones, they were getting rid of the ones they had, and these silversmiths, their businesses were threatened, and so they started to form a riot. And so this word ecclesia appears in Acts 19.32. It says, inside the ecclesia were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. I hope that doesn't describe our church, but maybe that's a gathering that sometimes describes where we're here and we're saying, well, why, wait a second, why are we here? Why are we gathering? And so this word ecclesia wasn't just a church word, but it just described people who assembled for a purpose. And so if we're reading in the New Testament, whenever the word church appears, we can get a lot closer to the author's intent if we read an assembly of people instead of thinking about a building or an event. And so when Paul writes a letter to, you know, the church of Philippi, He's not writing a letter to the building or the Sunday Sabbath gathering. He's writing a letter to the people of Philippi. And so that's where we're kind of diving in on this, that a church is more than a group of people. It is a people who are united in a common purpose. So it's not just a gathering. There's something that unifies the gathering, and that unifying is a purpose. It's not a social club. It's not just being together for the sake of being together. It's being together for a purpose that we are leaning into and seeking together. And that purpose comes right from Jesus's own words. Why we gather as a community of faith comes down to this. And so I want to take us to the very end of Matthew's gospel. 
This is after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and he's been appearing to his followers. And one of these times, he tells them to go to a mountain outside of Galilee, and he appears to them, and he gives them this message. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And then he gives them a promise. He says, And I will be with you until the end of the era. And so Jesus gives this command. He gives them this instruction to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who is learning the disciplines of their leader, of their teacher. And so when he says make disciples, he's saying we need to follow Jesus. And then he goes on further. He says, you know, teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. And there's that little part in there about baptism. And baptism is one of the practices one of our spiritual practices as a church where uh, when someone wants to make a public declaration of their faith to the community, baptism is the the sort of the rite of passage that the church practices. And at this moment in time, we're kind of putting baptisms on pause, um, but I'm looking forward to when we can start having that as part of our practices when someone wants to make that declaration as a community. It's a time to celebrate that we are placing our identity with Christ. But when Jesus says this last part, when he says, teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you, he is saying that this gathering, the disciples that learn Jesus' teachings, they will be learning something very different than what their teachings have been up to that point. And as we lean in, as we are learning to obey the way that Jesus taught, that means that transformation has to happen in us, that the way we see things, the way we look at the world, our hearts will change to become more like Christ's. And that's part of that common purpose. And then a little while later, the last time that Jesus appeared to his disciples, he gives them kind of a follow-up and a continuation of this instruction. And his disciples had, um, had asked him this question of saying, when are you going to create your earthly kingdom? When are you going to overthrow the rulers and overthrow the systems of this world? When are you going to set up shop here? And Jesus replies to them, no, 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 that's not yours to know. That's not what my purpose is. And Jesus gives them this instruction that we often quote from Acts 1.8. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives a locational understanding of this, that it starts with where they are. They're in Jerusalem at the time. Judea is the area around Jerusalem. Samaria is the territory to the north that used to be Israel before it was conquered by the Assyrians uh, about eight centuries earlier. And then the ends of the earth represents everywhere that the disciples don't even know exists yet because their understanding of the world was still quite small at that time. But Jesus is telling them that their purpose is not just for them. Their purpose will expand and grow beyond. And this is where we get our desire to share who Jesus is with the nations, to share who Jesus is with the world beyond, because it starts with where we are and then grows and expands from there. And so these two passages together, uh, the end of Matthew and this Acts 1.8, form this kind of combined foundation for the purpose and mission of the ecclesia. This is where we get our marching orders, so to speak, as a church. This is what our focus and heartbeat is. Now, this forms that big picture 
And we don't use that term assembly very often because maybe that just gives you flashbacks of high school assemblies. But the phrase that I often use, and you've, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me talk about before, I talk about how a church is a community of faith because it draws us to understand that as a community, we are in this together and that our faith is what binds and draws us together as we seek to live that out with one another. And what that means is that as we discover and we explore and are deep in our faith in God together, our understanding of this purpose and mission will grow over time. In fact, this is something that isn't new for us. Um, Throughout the last two millennium, followers of Jesus in every era and culture have had to discover what does it mean to be Jesus's ecclesia, Jesus's assembly in their specific context and environment. And so the church has evolved and grown and shifted even in the way that we gather and the way that we gather now, um, both in person and online. These are all things that are shaped by our context and our environment. How do we share the message of Jesus in this time, in this season, in this place? That is a work that the church has always done. In fact, I find it Sometimes, you know, one of those little pastor things that I get asked if someone finds out I'm a pastor and if they have a church background, they say, well, are you a, are you a contemporary church or a traditional church? And I, I, never, I never really kind of say this because it's a little snarky, but I, I almost want to say, well, traditional according to what? Because if you think of a traditional church, most of what you're thinking of has only existed for 50 to 75 years. Are we a traditional church to the 1300s? Maybe, maybe we should be a traditional church to the seven, 700s. We could go back that far. But the point I'm making is that the church has always evolved and shifted and shaped who we are and our expressions of faith and our spiritual practices so that we can minister and witness to the culture around us, to our specific environment. And so, you know, right now, uh, you know, basically every church does some form of live stream, some form of online, whether it's pre-recorded, whether it's a live stream, like what we're doing right now, whether it's posted later to be on demand, or, you know, we've had a podcast running for a long time where you could listen to the audio of our messages. All of these are just forms and methods that allow the ecclesia to still engage as a community and to engage with our world around us. And so I want to take a moment here and just narrow it in on our church because every local church, um, every expression of Christ's ecclesia will have slightly different ways that we do this. And, and later on in this series, we're going to talk a little bit about why we have differences in, um, between churches and why this exists, but why we're still all part of one body. But I want to talk about some of the things that are just near and dear to our heart as part of Grand Valley Church. And one of the things that we have always had a focus on since the very beginning of this church, and, and you could say, honestly, this goes back even before Grand Valley was born. This is a heartbeat of our whole family of churches known as the Alliance, is an emphasis on continual spiritual growth. Um, you know, some of you, if you have an Alliance background, you might say we would call this the deeper life the deeper life of being in relationship with Jesus. And so we talk about this in terms of a continual spiritual growth that all of us, no matter how long we've known Jesus or whether we're just exploring and we're asking questions and we're just trying to understand things for the first time, continual spiritual growth is always part of being a follower of Jesus. And that happens both individually and communally. That's things that happens in our own individual spiritual practices. And it's also things that happen when we gather together, when we are here as a community of faith, here physically or here technologically. 
continual spiritual growth happens this way. And the, the communal parts of it often happen through shared experiences. And so when we gather like this, when we gather online, we are engaging in a communal spiritual practice, a shared experience of hearing scripture being taught, of learning um, about who Jesus is and how he calls us to follow him. We are learning those things together. When we sing in worship together, we are proclaiming the truths of the songs that we sing together as one expression of the local ecclesia of Jesus. Those shared experiences are part of what draws us together as a community in those communal ways. And then on the individual side, those are our own spiritual practices, our own practices of reading scripture and prayer and serving one another. Those are the things that lead us into the communal. And so the communal and the individual spiritual growth often feed into one another. And what we and my hope is always that what we talk about on a Sunday makes you think and wonder and hungry to learn more on your own and to dive into scripture more and understand it. And so that leads us to this, this communal part of why we do church, why we gather like this. And there's something that is, is unique in scripture is that at no point ever in scripture is one person on their own presented as an ecclesia. Jesus's ecclesia always requires community and relationship. Our practices, I just, I talked about baptism a moment earlier. There's no point in scripture where someone can baptize themselves. In fact, you cannot baptize yourself. It requires people to be, get, be together. And one of our other spiritual practices that we've put on pause for this season is taking communion, the Lord's Supper together. Um, that is never presented as something that can be done completely on your own. Now, it is something that you can do. Um, I've, you know, talked with friends who are pastors who are, have been doing communion over Zoom together with people or taking communion um, as part of a live stream and encouraging people to have the elements at home. And that is still a communal practice when it's done together. But communion isn't something that one person can do by themselves isolated. It requires the body to be together. And when we practice communion, our practice of it was always to have tables at the front and to come to it and to serve one another. And we just frankly can't do that right now. And so we've put it on pause so that when we can bring that back, we'll be able to celebrate it with the way that it carries the meaning for our community. And so this community relationship is such a core part of being an ecclesia, being a community of people gathered for a purpose. And that leads us to this last one that I want to talk about. And this is actually going to be the topic of next week's message. So I'm not going to go into to it too deeply right now. But within every local church, everyone has spiritual gifts and talents and abilities that are given to us to empower and build up the local church so that the mission of God will advance. Um, scripture talks about this continually in the letters, and it's one of the big wrestling points that the early church was having to figure out. And it's a good thing they were wrestling with it and having to figure out because it meant that people like Paul wrote letters about it and those letters we have now to learn from. But everyone has spiritual gifts. Everyone has talents and skills and abilities that are meant to be united together to, for the church to achieve its purposes together. And we're going to talk about that next week. And so I'm just going to leave it at that right now. But one of the things that's been real for us this past year is that remaining connected as a local ecclesia during a pandemic has required massive amounts of change. 
And everyone has a kind of level of threshold of change that we're, that, that is like acceptable amount of change we can handle. And for all of us, that has been stretched way beyond what we ever thought it would be or wanted it to be. That's just the reality of our context and culture and environment that we are within. But that doesn't mean we give up. That just means that we make the best decisions we can as we go to still be a connected body of church. How do we do that together? And so I want to take us to a passage from the Old Testament because what we're experiencing right now um, in 2020 and 2021 is a massive kind of upheaval and changes in our society. And this is not the first time this has happened in history. In fact, even in the last century, churches had to figure out, well, how do we still be a church as World War I and World War II rage in the background? How do we still be a church as the civil rights movement, as things like women's suffrage were moving through society and people were trying to understand and figure as the fabric of our society around us changes, the church has always had to do the work of saying, okay, well, what do we do? How do we figure this out? How do we navigate the upheaval and the changes and the things that are happening in our world today? And so I want to take us to an example from the Old Testament, an example from about 600 years before Jesus um, came to earth that can help us see one of the ways that um, the community of believers at this time, um, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, did to, to remain connected in a time period of massive upheaval. So in this late 6th century, um, the Israel as a nation prior to that had split into two. There was Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And the Assyrian Empire came, conquered the northern tribes of Israel, um, took over that land. And then later in uh, 586 BC, the Babylonian army comes and wipes out Judea, the southern kingdom. That is the end of an independent Israel era. And what Babylon always did when they came and they conquered is they had this, this program of forced resettlement. They would come in and anyone who was a craftsman, anyone who was an artist, anyone who was a government official, anyone who was respected in their community as a community leader would be carted off to Babylon. And then other nations that they had conquered, they would take people and they would force them to move. And they, the reason they did that is they were trying to mix up and destroy people's ethnic identities. It was an attempt of saying, well, if we take all these people from other nations and we force them to live together in Judea, the people of Judea won't be able to amass and revolt against us. This was Babylon's practice, what they did. And so at this time period of this passage of scripture, we're going to read in just a moment. All these people from Judea, all these faithful Jews who had worshipped God with their whole lives had been carted off to Babylon and were being forced to settle in Babylon. And so Jeremiah the prophet gets this message from God and he writes a letter to them. Now here's what he, he starts this letter with. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Now I'm going to pause there for a second. This is where the comparison between what's happening at this point in history with the Babylonian exile, the second exile, and what's happening today breaks down. 
because we are not being exiled into other nations. Churches are not being persecuted. We are following public health orders. And in fact, if you take an objective look at this past year, churches have received greater favor than other groups have during the public health orders and all this happening. So let's, let's focus on what it means when he's, he's talking about people that are displaced and people who are experiencing what is outside of their norm. And this is the message that God gives Jeremiah to write to these people who are living in a foreign land. He says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Some translations even say that the plant gardens he's talking about is planting vineyards. And if you know anything about vineyards, it takes a lot of years before that vineyard will produce a crop that you can make anything about. This isn't just a one growing season crop. He's saying plant gardens that will take many years to grow. Eat the food they produce. Then he says, marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And then he says this, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its wealth, and for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is the message that God gives Jeremiah to give to people who are struggling with being displaced, who are struggling with upheaval, struggling with everything changed. He says, plant where you are. Build homes where you are. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city of who is around you right where you are. And that would go against everything that they would intrinsically want to believe. They are living in a nation that is their captors that conquered and destroyed their temple, that destroyed everything that they knew. And God's message to them is, no, no, seek the prosperity of where you are. Seek the best for those who are around you. Now, this is a difficult concept to wrap our heads around, but I think there's, uh, there's a, an author recently who talks about this, who says, well, what does it mean to not withdraw our engagement, but instead to be present in our communities? And uh, this is a, a pastor, an author, and a, a professor, this guy's named David E. Fitch, and he writes it this way in his book called Faithful Presence. He says, faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. This is what it means to be an ecclesia. This is what it means to be Jesus's ecclesia, to be people that are leaning faithfully into the presence of God so that we can be that faithful presence of God to the communities around us, that we make God real and concrete to a world that is filled with struggles and pain. This is, I think, a modern understanding of what Jeremiah is writing specifically to the Babylonian exiles. No, you need to be the presence of God in Babylon. You need to build homes, you need to plant gardens, settle down, have kids, you know, find spouses for your kids and carry on that way so that you will be the presence. And one of the things that's fascinating is the Jewish scholarship that happens in Babylon is the reason we have most of our Old Testament today. Most of our Old Testament writings were compiled during the Babylonian exile. In fact, God was doing incredible and great things through the people who were displaced into Babylon. And so when we look at the way that David Fitch puts this, 
How can we be, as a local church, how do we be this faithful presence in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces? And specifically, how do we do that in this season? And that's not something where I can say from the front, this is what it will look like for you, because this is a role of contextualization that every one of us has to do for our own place and our own being. How do we do this in the relationships we have? How do we demonstrate the faithful presence of God in our relationships with our neighbors, with our coworkers, our interactions with people? How do we demonstrate that? Because that is the picture of a church that views itself not as an isolation unto himself, that we come here to gather and huddle in these walls and ignore the world around us. No, no, we come here and we come here online so that we are equipped and built up so that we can be this faithful presence elsewhere. That is our focus as a community of faith. So how do we do that? How are we going to make sure that we look beyond these walls that we look beyond our parking lot, that we look beyond at our world as we drive around, as we go about our days, as we sit on Zoom calls with people farther away than Brandon. How are we the faithful presence of God beyond where we sit right now? That's the question and that's the challenge that I want us to wrestle with. Where do we need to be this faithful presence in our wider and larger communities? Let me take a moment and pray for us. God, We thank you for your faithful presence in our lives, that your word proclaims that you will never leave, abandon, or forsake us, that you are with us through every circumstance. But Lord, we recognize that your scriptures and your words call us to recognize that when your presence is with us, it is so that we can be bearers of your presence to others. And so God, I pray that as we think about what it means to be an ecclesia, to be an assembly of people gathered for a common purpose, that we would have our eyes opened to see the opportunities around us to be your faithful presence in our communities. And so God, we just ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see these opportunities, that you would give us strength to speak with words of compassion and care and love, to speak words of truth and wisdom, so that together, As a community of faith, we can represent you to the world around us. In your name we pray, amen. Folks, thank you very much for being here, joining us in person and online. Um, If you're here in person and you want to stay and visit with people a bit, you can do that, provided you remain seated two rows apart, or you're welcome to head outside and visit outside as well. And um, next week, we will be continuing this series called Beyond This Walls, and we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and serving one another. And just as one more announcement, next weekend, next Sunday at 8 p.m. is our annual meeting. And so uh, all the instructions for how to join that, it's an online meeting, will be sent out via email. Um, And so look for that email. And if you aren't getting our emails, uh, click the link in the video description or head to our website and you can sign up to get email updates. So thank you very much for being here and joining us. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.